Y'all, it is a good morning to be in church. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that uh, we're able to celebrate Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry together. So excited. I was getting ahead of myself in announcements there. <laughs> but uh, we're continuing in our passion series this week. And, uh, you know, whether you're joining us online or you're with us here today, it is so good to have you. And so over the last several weeks, we've been making our way through the events of the Holy Week. And so back here, we have all our icons up there. So we started off on Monday where Jesus cleared the temple. Then we come to Tuesday during the day when the religious uh, leaders, they were questioning Jesus' authority. Then we get to Tuesday evening where Jesus is anointed with the perfume. Uh, then we come to uh, Wednesday here, which... Uh, Wednesday was kind of considered the silent day. Uh, we don't really know what Jesus was doing at that time, but we did talk about uh, Judas and his betrayal. And then we came uh, to Thursday, which was a very long day for Jesus and uh, with the Last Supper. And so finally, we're going to head all the way back to the beginning here. And how satisfying is that, that it is finally completed up at the front there? I love it. So... We're going to be going back to the beginning of Holy Week. We are back at Sunday, the triumphal entry. And if you're anything, or sorry, and uh, so I believe that Palm Sunday, it can be best described with one word, expectation. Expectation is something that we all have on a consistent basis with various things or people in our lives, and I'm, of course, no exception to that. I have expectations for what student ministry is going to be like. I have expectations for what my leaders are going to do each week. I've got expectations for what young adults is going to look like. I've got expectations, you know, for literally everything in my life. I have some idea of what I want things to look like. And uh, I had expectations, actually, for what my job after college would be. And so when I mentioned that I would be talking about how I ended up here at Freedom, Pastor Tracy got a little nervous. <laughs> but I promise it is all right. It's, it's going to turn out all right. So after I graduated, I ended up heading to Ethiopia, of course, for six months because I also have a heart for global work. And while I was there, I was thinking about what I was going to do when I ended up back here in Canada. And so I had this whole list of things that I wanted. You know, I was incredibly passionate about local church ministry and raising up the next generation of believers. And so I started to create this mental list. And I was like, okay, I got like all these ideas of what the church is going to look like, what the people are going to be like, you know, things that I'm able to do in ministry, all these different things, even down to like, okay, where is it going to be? Because this is a place that I want to commit years of my life to. And so as I began to look through all of the job openings on uh, the PAOC site, I would scan through, I would read the description, and some would catch my eye, and I'd bookmark them, and then I'd go back to them later, and others I would just simply scratch off the list. Funnily enough, I got to the job opening here at Freedom, and, well, I scratched that one off the list. <laughs> you know, at the time, it didn't really seem like something that was matching up to that list that I had created. Now, Pastor Tracy, she ended up getting in touch with me while I was in Ethiopia, and we ended up having an interview. When she first reached out, I was like, Freedom, that sounds familiar. Right. I saw that job opening. <laughs> Passed over that real quick. 
<laughs> but as we went through the interviews and we were going through the process and I was like, all right, you know what, I'll take the interview, I'll talk to her, I'll see, you know, what they're all about. Um, the more that I talked to Pastor Tracy and the more um, that I prayed about what I was going to do, I really felt God nudging me towards working here. And when that job offer came, I actually struggled with it a little bit because it wasn't everything that I had on that list. It didn't really meet up with any of the expectations that I had for what I wanted in ministry. And, you know, it was also in a place where I was moving back home. I didn't really want to move back home, not because there's anything bad about Cambridge. My parents are here. They're like, why don't you want to move back home? Hmm? <laughs> well, it's not because there's anything bad about, you know, Cambridge or anything like that. I had just grown up here all my life. I wanted to try something new. I wanted to go to someplace else. You know, a fresh start. Just try something different. Establish myself. But, of course, when I get to that job offer, I couldn't shake the feeling that God was calling me to take this job and start my time in ministry here. So, obviously, because I'm here on the stage today, I took it. You know, despite the hesitations and the original expectations for where I pictured myself living and starting ministry, I can confidently say that that was the best decision I made by listening to the Holy Spirit's leading as I now passionately serve the next generation and our church family here at Freedom. There's honestly no other place that I would rather be. So you can breathe a sigh of relief now. <laughs> You see, God's plan for me far outweighed the expectations that I had dreamed up in my mind. Not only that, he significantly exceeded them. Now, I can, I can imagine that for many of us, we hold some type of expectation for someone or something at this very moment. We all do it, from the smallest things in our lives to the most consequential from our expectations for our favorite sports team to finally go all the way this year, go Jays, to dinner on the table from the best chef in the house when they make their favorite meal and you're just expecting something fantastic, or to more substantial things, like maybe there's expectations for that job that you've been wanting for a really long time and you're like really trying to get it and you've got all these expectations built up in your head. Or maybe it's for that family member who you don't quite think they're meeting up to you know, the potential that you have in your mind for them. And you're like, all right, you know, when they finally get there, it's going to be fantastic. I've got all these expectations for them. It's going to be great when they finally meet that. You know, maybe it's things like that. There's an endless list of things that we sit with hopeful expectation for. And when it comes to Palm Sunday, that is exactly what so many people are gathering together with. Incredible expectation. And we're going to head into the Word in a second, so open your Bible to Mark chapter 11, verse 1 to 11, or you can find it in the YouVersion app under More Than Events, and you'll see us there with all the passages from today. So, now, as this event was taking place, the type of expectation from the people was there to the point that the atmosphere was just buzzing with excitement. They were all gathering in Jerusalem for the Passover festival, which was the celebration of when God passed over the Israelites' home and spared their firstborn children during the 10th plague of the Exodus in Egypt that ultimately resulted in their deliverance from 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians. It was a joyous time. It's this major festival, and people from all over are flooding into Jerusalem. The law actually stated that every male Jew who lived within 20 miles of the city must come to Passover. Not only were Jews from Palestine coming, but Jews from all over the world were making their way in. 
Actually, more than two and a half million people were crowding into the area. Now, the city is absolutely surging with religious expectation as Jesus arrives on the scene. And this is where we're set as we dive into the word together, starting in verse 1 of Mark chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street tied at the doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. It's a momentous occasion as Jesus enters into the city and he does it with every step and action done deliberately. As he makes his approach to Jerusalem, all eyes are on him at this point. The Pharisees have been reaching a boiling point with him as he continues to gain following, forgive the sins of people, and make claims to divinity. They came to keep an eye on him. He enters in not at any random time either, but during one of their greatest festivals in the Passover. If there was any question that he was trying to keep a low profile up to that point, it was obliterated in that moment as he made his presence known among the immense crowds of people. A whole crowd of a mixed group of people followed him in, including the 12 disciples and the larger group of his followers and the woman disciples that followed Jesus from Galilee. There was a group of believers from the Jerusalem region, including Lazarus, Martha, Mary, and those who believed that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And then there were those with him that weren't his disciples, but were part of the usual crowd that followed him, possibly believing that Jesus had come to liberate Jerusalem and the people of Israel from Roman oppression. Others still may have been there, most likely due to their curiosity and excitement of what was to come. Everybody is taking notice. Jesus sends his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. The owner of the donkey, he was most likely a disciple of Jesus and immediately knew what it meant when they told them that the Lord needs it and gave it to them right away. And this moment as Jesus gets this donkey to ride on is significant and a deliberate decision by Jesus. And it actually fulfilled a prophecy from over 500 years earlier from Zechariah 9, verse 9, that said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The passage prophesied the coming of Jesus, and he fulfills it in his triumphal entry. Even the fact that the donkey had never been ridden on before showed that it was for a sacred purpose. As he comes, the expectations were incredibly high for him. 
The people, they expected a conquering king, a military leader. And there's this Hebrew poem from the time called the Psalms of Solomon. It's not from scripture. It's actually part of the pseudepigrapha. These were books that were written under false names to actually gain more traction. So it wasn't actually written by Solomon. And although they're not canon to scripture, they can be useful to give us a bit of an idea of the culture at that time. And this poem says this, Behold, O Lord, and raise up unto them their king, the son of David, at the time in which thou seest, O God, that he may reign over Israel thy servant, and gird him with strength, that he may shatter unrighteous rulers, and that he may purge Jerusalem from nations that trample her down to destruction." Wisely, righteously, he shall thrust out sinners from the inheritance. He shall destroy the pride of the sinner as a potter's vessel. With a rod of iron, he shall break in pieces all their substance. He shall destroy the godless nations with the word of his mouth. At his rebuke, nations shall flee before him, and he shall reprove sinners for the thoughts of their heart. All nations shall be in fear before him, for he will smite the earth with the word of his mouth forever." It gives us this picture of what they believed Jesus to be, what they believed the Messiah to come and do. They wanted him to be this conquering king that brought war and conquest and liberation from the Roman government. They wanted him to overthrow those in authority and restore Israel to power. And as he rode in, they received Jesus like a king. They spread their cloaks on the ground just as they had done for Jehu, when he was proclaimed king in 2 Kings 9, verse 13. Throwing their cloaks on the ground symbolized their submission to him as king. And they cut down and waved palm branches for him, which was exactly what they did when Simon Maccabeus entered Jerusalem after a remarkable victory in battle for Israel. Palms symbolized Jewish nationalism and victory. Many coins at the time of Jesus contained images of palms, expressive of nationalism generally, both Jewish and Roman. But here he comes, riding in on this donkey. To us today, we see the donkey as something of an animal that gets made fun of a little bit, but the donkey was this noble animal. When a king would ride into war, they would ride in on a horse. But when they would come in peace, they would ride in on a donkey. And their shouts were filled with praise and anticipation for the Messiah. As he rode through on this donkey, coming in peace, the procession of people, they cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which actually means save now. It's essentially a call for deliverance and help in their times of trouble. It was an oppressed people's cry to their savior and their king. Then Hosanna, paired with the shouts of Son of David, was unmestakably messianic. They believed him to be the Davidic Messiah or Savior that they could all call on to save them from their oppression. He who comes was another name for the Messiah. When the Jews spoke about the Messiah, they talked about the one who is coming. All of these shouts of praise, all of these names for him are all pointing to a figure in their heads, an expectation for him, what they thought that he would be. One praise after another had expectation just dripping from it. The problem was, was that their expectations were limited to a liberation that only came in physical and through military might. And Jesus knew that. 
He knew their nationalistic ambitions and how quickly their minds would change about him. The Gospel of Luke even notes that Jesus wept over the city as he left this grand procession for him. The thing is, Jesus came for so much more than what they expected a savior to be. We know that as they found out that Jesus wasn't the conquering king they wanted him to be, the chants quickly changed from Hosanna, Hosanna to crucify him. And that's something we'll talk more about on Friday. Their expectations were severely disappointed. Now, many of us at this point have probably experienced at some time a moment where expectations for God to do something fell through. Like the Israelites during the triumphal entry, we paint a picture of what God should be in our minds, what we want him to be in our minds. But more often than not, these expectations don't actually line up with what God has intended for us. And we need to realign ourselves with who God is, what scripture tells us that God is, who Jesus is. And we need to align our hearts and our minds with not our expectations, but who God really is, who he tells us he is. Now my question for you today is, what expectation do you have about who God is or what you want him to do that needs to be realigned with who the word shows him to be and what his plans are for you? Because a lot of times, our plans for ourselves, our expectations for what we're going to do in our lives often don't line up with what God's actual plans are for our lives. Like in my life when, you know, I was trying to find a job and I had all these expectations and I had all this stuff built up in my mind, I was planning out my own story. But we need to live by the ultimate story that Jesus gave to us. One where Jesus came to liberate us from the power of sin and from death. One where God has this incredible purpose and this plan for us and his church, one that we need to follow after, follow his leading and come with hopeful expectation that he will do more than we could ever possibly imagine. What happens here with the Israelites as they're shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, come save us, come overthrow this government, restore us to power. I like to call it the disappointment of exceeded expectations. Because that's really what it is. They were disappointed in what they thought he would be. And yet Jesus comes and he exceeds absolutely every expectation that they could ever possibly have for him because he came and he gave so much more than military might. He came and he gave so much more than a victory in battle. The Israelites, they wanted a conquering king. They wanted to get back to a place of power. They wanted to restore their kingdom. And the worship team can come back to the stage. But that God instead was a king who came not to liberate them from a government, but who liberated them from their brokenness. They expected a king who would restore their earthly kingdom, but they got a king who would restore the relationship between them and God and build God's kingdom on earth. They expected a king who would overthrow those in power, but what they got was a king who overthrew the power of sin and death. Earthly kings, they might bring conquest and power and victory on this earth, but nobody can bring what King Jesus brought on the cross through the grave. And that's what we need to set our expectations in. Jesus is the one that we need to put all of our hope in. 
because we stand with hopeful expectation, not for what we picture God to be, not for what we picture Jesus to be, but for who Jesus really is, for what the purpose was that he really came to this earth for, and that was to free us from sin and death. That was to share that incredible good news with those around us so that they can come shouting, Hosanna, save us now, Not, not from governments in power, but from the oppression of sin and death on our lives. And that's something to celebrate because Jesus is so much more than we could ever possibly hope or imagine or dream up in our minds. It's a day of celebration. This is so worth celebrating. The king has come. Our savior is here. Lord, thank you so much that you don't meet our expectations. Thank you so much that you don't meet our expectations. Because, Father, we fall short each and every time. But, Lord, allow us to be disappointed by what you have for us. Because, Lord, once that happens, we realize that it was so much better. We know that that was the right thing. We know that you had a plan and a purpose for us. We know that you came to this earth, that you sent your one and only son to die for us on the cross so that we could be free. So we could be liberated from the power of sin and death. Father, we praise you. Hosanna. We come with hopeful expectation today. We come in celebration of our coming King. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming in. Thank you for coming, not in a way that we wanted, but in a way that we needed. Jesus, today we praise your name and every other day we praise your name. And Father, may every day we come with hopeful expectation of what you have for us in our lives. And Father, may we follow that with the boldness that only you can give. Holy Spirit, give us the boldness to follow after you, to align our expectations with what you have for us. May we align our hearts and our minds with you today. Jesus, thank you. You are so so good each and every